Hey, good morning, everyone. We are uh, in a series going through the book of James. And what I love about the book of James is that it's so practical. And what James calls out for to followers of Jesus is to live what you believe. I believe one of the biggest struggles for a follower of Jesus is actually living out what you actually believe about Jesus. That's the hardest thing. I think it's one of the hardest things. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to actually live it out. And, and how many of us, there have been times in our lives where we probably haven't been the best example of a follower of Jesus Christ. We, we call it in Christianese, blowing your witness. Have you ever done that before? It just kind of like... And you think about it for a moment, and maybe it wasn't too becoming of Jesus. Maybe you were in an argument with somebody, and and later you you left that discussion, discussion, and you felt convicted about it. And then you're like... Mm, I don't know what I don't know how well I represented Jesus there. We've we've all done that, and it's a struggle to 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 live out what we believe. Um, there was a I was talking to a, a mom this past week. She's got a daughter who's in who's in seventh grade, and they were having a discussion about last week's message during the week. And the mom came up and told me about this, and I thought it was pretty funny. And so they were talking about it, and there was something that happened. And she, have you ever had something thrown back in your face? You kind of had it thrown back in your face. She goes. Um, Mom, I don't think that's what Pastor Barden meant. I'll show you. I took notes during the sermon. Can I show you in my notes? And suffice uh, to say that she, her, she cannot be allowed to come to church anymore. So um, just kidding, just kidding. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking this deep dive into James. Uh, and we, we've come to know that, that James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And uh, he basically wants his listeners, his readers, to look at this. What does your life look like after Christ has changed it? What does your life look like when it's tested in Christ? What you believe about Jesus Christ is truly going to be seen in the things that you're tested in. When your faith is tested, it will reveal what you truly believe. And we all go through tests. Don't we understand that life is just a series of tests? It really is. There's... There's health tests, there's relationship tests, there's just, there's, there's just struggles in your own faith, in your own walk with God. There's all these tests of just, do we trust God through this? A- am I putting my faith in Christ Jesus during this test or during this struggle? Um, a- am I truly trusting him? And what James calls out for is authenticity. He says, live out what you believe. And in chapter 2, James is going to deal with some issues in the church about favoritism. And so what, what basically James is saying here, this is a test of love. Do you truly love people or do you just love a certain group of people? Because if you truly understand what Jesus Christ did for you, your love is not going to be selective. Your, your love is not going to be towards people who are lovable. It, your love is going to be seen in how you treat everyone. And in this chapter, James deals with the authenticity of their heart. And, and are we walking with the correct view of ourselves? And so this is what James is going to bring out. Because if your love is selective, there's a disconnect with the gospel message and understanding what Jesus did for you. And so this is what James is going to be, bring out. So we kind of dove into this last week. We're going to continue to look at uh, James chapter 2. And I want to I look at uh, verses 9 through 13. 
And what James is going to deal with is treating someone with more worth based on their status. So James writes to correct her thinking. So let's look at James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13 today. He says this, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who says, you shall not commit adultery, also says, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been faithful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. Amen? Let's see what James is saying here. What's James's main point here? The bottom line is they didn't love their neighbor. They were breaking the commandment of loving their neighbor by showing favoritism. They weren't following the heart of Christ. And what Jesus does is when he's asked about which is the greatest commandment, what Jesus does is he boils down all 1613 commandments that were given and he boils them down to two. And he says this, and he says this, listen, you, you've got to, you have to love uh, God with all your heart, mind and soul. And you have to love your neighbor as yourself. See, by showing favoritism, they weren't following the heart of Christ. Tim Chester says it this way, favoritism ends up judging one's, uh, one, uh, one person's soul as being of greater value than another, and it does all this on the basis of superficial worldly criteria. They treated one group well and one group poorly based on their status. So what happened and why did they need to be corrected? Well, they lost sight of who they were in Christ. See, those who see that they are poor in spirit know they are, that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. And what James is going to do, he's going to tell them, listen, when you break one law, you break them all. There's this perfect law that you can't keep. So be careful of placing yourself in the seat of judgment over somebody else by how you show favoritism. Now, you may not think you're doing that, but you are. You're not actually showing love. By showing favoritism, it actually breaks God's command to love your neighbor. That's actually what they're doing. By showing favoritism, it breaks God's, God's law to love your neighbor. And when we truly understand the gospel message, we will realize we are not superior to anyone else. When we realize the gospel message, we will realize that we are not superior to anyone else. We are not to treat one group of people with more dignity than another. And so what we need to remind ourselves is this. We are sinful and weak, and we can't save ourselves. This is the humbling thing. See, what, what James is exposing is this righteous heart of, okay, I'm going to keep this one thing of the law, and I hang my hat on that. But then what James says, he shines the light on another side of our heart and our lives that isn't you know, keeping God's commands. And what James says, when you break one, you break them all. You can't keep it in your own strength. You can't meet God's demands for the law in your own strength. And this should humble us to show us that we can't do it in our own strength. So what James is doing is 
He's telling us you need to have a proper perspective of who you are. Having a proper view of ourselves changes actually the way we treat others. See, by showing favoritism, they didn't understand the gospel message in its complete form. By showing favoritism, they thought they were better than than someone else. They didn't understand the humility that the gospel message brings. When we treat others poorly, we forget how sinful we are. So James is trying to tell them, listen, don't think too highly of yourself because you can't keep all of God's commands. Be careful how you treat others because it's a reflection of your heart if you don't treat them properly. And we forget that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And everybody said, amen, right? So James gives this reality check for those who are showing favoritism. And we can't say, oh, well, well, you know, I'm keeping the law and I'm loving the wealthy. I'm doing a good job loving the elite, the wealthy, those that have great status. Look how great I'm doing over here. And then James says, ah, not so fast. Time out, flag on the play. What did James mean by this? James corrects that thinking by saying you can't keep part of the law without breaking all of it, right? So let's say that an officer pulls you over and you're going 30 miles over the speed limit, right? And you say to the officer, well, I'm a good person. Officer, I'm a good person and I pay my taxes. Here are my tax returns right here. And, and by the way, I'm going to church, how many of you use that excuse? How many of you use that excuse? I see you pulled over on Ridge Road here, right? How many of you use that excuse, right? What are we trying to do? See, what happened there? Did you not break the law? Yeah, you broke the law by going 30 miles over the speed limit, right? But we're trying to appeal to what? Our good side. But I'm really a good person, right? But guess what? Goody, goody for you, but you still broke the law. And so this is why Jesus summarizes all the law by saying this. Jesus replies to those who ask him about the law. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's about loving God and loving others. It's about that relationship. Everything boils down to how we love God And we love others. And James is saying, by loving one group of of people over another, you're breaking God's greatest commandment. You're actually not loving God by not loving this group of people. See, if if, if we're going to do these two things, we will honor God and we will honor one another. And so what James does is he gives us the truth about our lives, that we all need mercy And we all need to show mercy. And the reason is, is that we've fallen short of God's perfection and we need God's grace. So here's the reality of our lives. And here's how we gain a a, a good perspective of our lives. We all need to recognize that we are all messy. We're all messy. And the problem is when we begin to put ourselves in the seat of judgment and we begin to believe that my mess is not as big as the next next person's mess, I begin to feel a little bit better about myself. And and James is saying, "Uh uh-uh, be careful here. Be careful here. The reality is we're all messy. 
So how do we protect ourselves from having a judgmental spirit or thinking too much about ourselves and not loving God correctly and not loving others correctly? Because it's easy to look at everyone else's mess and forget that we are a mess too. Okay, just checking to see if everybody's out there, right? See, here's, here's what James is saying. God's perfect law humbles us. It humbles us. And that's why he says, mercy, mercy, mercy over this judgment and justice. We all know that God is a just God, amen? He is a just God, and he's going to judge the unrepentant heart. He is a, a God of wrath, but aren't you thankful that he's done everything possible to send us his son to take on his wrath so that we can be reconciled back into a right relationship with God. He's done everything for us to make that relationship right through his son, Jesus. And that's a humbling thing, a very humbling thing. But listen, this perfect law should humble us to realize that we're all messy. Now, let me explain it this way. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in your life? Right? We've all made bad decisions in our lives. And behind every bad decision is this huge mess. Right? The huge mess. Behind every bad decision is this huge mess. It might be a financial mess. It might be a marriage mess. It might be a family mess. And you still might be picking up someone else's mess. Years later, you might still be cleaning up after your mess. Here is the good news. The good news is this. There is someone with a bigger mess than you. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. No, don't think of it that way. That's not what James is talking about here, right? But let's all be honest with you. It does make you feel a little bit better when you look at somebody else's mess and then you look at your mess and you're like, oh, I guess, yeah, I'm not doing too bad. So that may, but that's not what he's talking about here. So listen, the truth is we all have messes in our lives. So here's the thing. Get to know someone and you'll find out quickly that they have problems and struggles just like you. They have problems and struggles just like you. Guess what? Their family isn't perfect. There's issues in their marriage. And their kids have problems too. I remember years ago, a family that attended our church, they since moved away. But I remember uh, this one family, this, the, the woman, she... She told me this, uh, this story, which I thought was pretty funny. She told me, she goes, I have a friend. She doesn't attend our, our church, but I would tell her a lot about our church and the things that are going on and the different problems and prayer requests and things of that nature. And, um, and this, was the, um, this was the impression that this woman who didn't attend our church said to this other one. This was her impression. She said, boy, it really seems like your church has a lot of problems, Right? <laughs> And, 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 and I loved her response. Her response was this. Yes, because we share our problems. Hmm. I think we need to change our name of our church to the problem church. Or bring your problems here, church, right? You see, that's what makes the church so unique. That we're not necessarily here to try to impress each other. Right? See, what makes the church so endearing is that we come together and we can share our problems and our issues and we can pray with one another. That's why we have prayer cards 
in the back of your seats. That's why we have a prayer tab online. That's why we, we want to stand with you and pray with each other because we all have messes in our lives. There's all issues that we're dealing with and we need to pray for each other. Yes, we do have problems. And when we share those things and we're vulnerable to each other, that's when Christ gets very real in our midst. When we can do those things. We should never sit in a place where we feel people are beneath us. That's a failure to love your neighbor. That's a failure to love with God's love. And I want you to understand that we are most compassionate when we understand each other. When you hear someone's story, you know, can I just be honest with you this morning? Can I tell you why our rooted groups are so special? And these are 10-week small group experiences that so far we've had 170 people go through it in our church. Going through it. We'll eventually go through it. 170. And I, I, what I hear from the testimonies from these small group experiences, or if you're part of a small group, or when you get closer with someone, what is it about? It's about the relationship. It's about the ability to share things in your life so that other people can pray for you. It, it begins to connect you with people so you don't feel isolated and you don't feel alone and you don't feel judged. You feel like I can actually share something very personal in my life and I feel like I'm not going to be judged because the person across the room from me that I'm staring face to face with has got issues too and they share those and it makes me feel open to share my stuff too. Man, shame on the church when we're not able to do that. We do have problems. We do have messes. And, and the more we embrace the mess, the more God is glorified. And the more it will give you strength to overcome the things that you're going through, to feel like other people are standing with you. See, James tells us that we're accountable before God and how we treat other people. So the question is this, how do we fight self-righteousness, a spirit of self-righteousness, or having a high opinion of ourselves? Here's how you do it. Just keep a mind on your mess. Just keep a mind on your mess. You know, it's easy as parents, right, when we're going through the grocery store and you've got your kids and you're going through the candy line and your kids are perfect. You walk out and I'm like, yeah, look at my kids. Woo, didn't didn't whine. Then you see three, three aisles down. Those kids are screaming, I want candy. I want candy. And things are getting thrown up in the air. And you're like, look how wonderful my kids are, right? Look at this, right? You got to remind yourself. And I remember the, the struggle I had, you know, when, when our kids were younger, right? When they're four, five, six, seven years old, those of you with young kids like that, let me just say this. Just wait. Okay. Just wait. You can post about it on Facebook. Oh, look at my kids. They're seeing Jesus. Just, okay. That's good. Keep doing it, all right? But listen, just wait. No shame. I remember my kids were little, and you get them together for the devotion, and you pray with them before they go to bed, and it was so nice. And then they got about eight, nine, ten years old. And I have two boys. I, I raised two boys and a girl. Lily was young. And we get together, okay, we're going to family devotionals. Let's all get together. We're going to read this. And all of a sudden, one's farting. One's making fart noises. They're all giggling. I'm like, will you listen to this? Jesus loves you. Right, just such a good family devotional time together, right? 
See, when you start looking at the mom and dad or trying to control their kids three aisles down, just remember your devotional time and what a wreck it was, right? Keep a mind on your mess. Amen? Is anybody with me this morning? Am I? Okay, good. Good. Yes. Okay, good. All right. That encouraged me. Good. See, here's the problem. And this is what James is trying to allude to. We struggle to live up to our standards. We struggle to live up to our own standards. See, it's a constant reminder that we fail God all the time. We do. We fail to forgive. We can hold grudges. We gossip. We fail God all the time. And what does he do? He receives us back and he forgives us and he shows us his mercy and he shows us his grace that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. See, the word of God is a constant reminder to us that we are in need of his mercy and we need his grace. And so James is not trying to shame or condemn those that are just showing favoritism to those that are elite or those that have a lot of money. He's not, he's not trying to condemn them. He's just saying, get a proper perspective of yourself first. Realize that those have less doesn't mean that you demean them and they're of less worth. Remind yourself of your worth in Christ. Remind yourself that you are spiritually bankrupt before God and you bring nothing to the table. Remind yourself of that. So our mess reminds us that we are in need of God's mercy. God's standards are perfect. And if we can't meet them perfectly, then why are we demanding of others? So this is James' point. We can't be perfect before God in our own strength. So God's perfect law reminds us that we need a Savior to rescue us. And we have one in Christ Jesus who perfectly met the demands of a perfect God, of a holy God. For us, that by us putting our faith in Christ, his righteousness is now imputed in our life, and we can now stand before a holy God, forgiven, reconciled before a perfect, holy God. This keeps us humble before God and patient with one another. And patient. Now, that does not mean we don't speak truth in other people's lives. I hope if I'm acting, acting like a knucklehead that somebody who loves me is going to speak into my life, truth and love, amen? For parents, you want to speak into your kid's life. If they're going to do something, you want to speak truth and you want to love them. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth and love into each other, especially the family of God, that we want to make sure that we're pleasing and serving God. But on the other hand, Paul warns us in Galatians, as he writes his book to the Galatians, he says this, you who are spiritual, you restore those who have fallen, but be careful. Be careful to watch yourself that you don't fall into the same trap. And what he's saying there, don't put yourself above that person by saying that could never happen to me. See, the problem is when we look at other people and their moral failures, we can say to ourselves, that could never happen to me. I was listening to a podcast this week. There was a, uh, a, a, you know, a pastor who was a pastor in a large church. He was having a conversation with another person who had a, a moral failure and, and went through 
you know, restitution, and he, he was better. He's doing great today. And they had this conversation. It was very interesting to me. And what this, th- this pastor did, he went on a three-month sabbatical just because under a lot of pressure, burnout, whatever. And he went on this sabbatical, and he said to this other person who had the moral failure, who's since been restored and, and doing well, he said, I went on my sabbatical, but it wasn't because of a moral failure. Now, this person that was just restored looked at him and said this, we are all moral failures. See, unless we recognize that we are all moral failures, we're going to put ourselves on a higher plane. And so what James is doing is he's showing them, you break one, you break them all. You cannot keep God's perfect law in your own strength. And this keeps us humble. This keeps us patient and not showing favoritism to one group of people when we get a clear understanding of who we truly are and the mercy and the grace that God extends to us through his son Jesus when none of us deserve it. Can I just say this to you just off the cuff? Listen, when someone is irritated and angry, right? When someone is irritated and angry and upset, find out what's going on. Because usually there's something that's deeper right? Instead of just judging it, find out what's going on deeper in their spirit. Let's be careful. Let's be careful on how we deal with people and not position ourselves on a higher plane. That we never get frustrated. That never happens to us. We never lose our patience. Let's let's be careful because we do all of that. Let's be careful in how we do that. C.S. Lewis speaks to this in the first chapter of his book, Mere Christianity. Just, this is probably one of my favorite books. And um, what's interesting about this, he was such a prolific writer. He became a Christian uh, in his adult years, lived through World War II, if you know the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, all those series. But what he does in the first chapter of his book, Mere Christianity, he speaks to this very thing of thinking to ourselves, making up our own moral codes, of right and wrong. And what he says, and this, this is really interesting because he speaks to the law of human nature. And what Lewis witnessed in human nature opened him up to Jesus and eventually becoming a, a follower of Christ. And he deals with this in his first chapter of the book, Mere Christianity. And what Lewis does is gives this example of two people arguing or two people quarreling, um, not seeing eye to eye. And he said this, he goes, watch two people have an argument. Watch, watch two people have an argument and, and see them quarreling. When two people are quarreling, what they normally do is they appeal to some kind of behavior that they expect the other person to understand. This is really interesting. You'll hear things like, you're not fair. Well, yes, I am. You're not sensitive. Well, yes, I am. I've got pictures of kitty cats in my car. I'm, I'm the most sensitive person in the world. Are you kidding me? Right? And, and they're both appealing to the other person to try to get them to understand what their moral code is. I witnessed a cashier and a customer one time argue over a $2 coupon. 
it got rough. So here they're, 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 they're arguing, they're discussing this, and the person says, I know the coupon's only, you know, a day old, it was expired or whatever, and I, I don't know if they could punch it in. It didn't, it, it didn't compute. It was expired, so they couldn't. I don't know what happened to the cashier's. Like, I can't do it. I, I just can't. I can't. You know, he's like, well, I, I should get, I, I shop here all the time. And it starts going, it starts getting like, woo, it's getting like. And so it, the, the cashier at this point has got tears. So at this point, the person with the coupon, I got them in a headlock, <laughs> rest on the floor, took two bucks out of my pocket and gave to him and said, get out of here. No, I'm just teasing. I didn't do that. It's amazing how they were both appealing to their sense of right and wrong. And what began to happen is, is because this one person with the coupon just wanted to be right, all decorum went out the window. I'm going to be right and I don't care. How many... Broken relationships are behind us because we just wanted to be right. So it got ugly. See, here's, here's what bugged Lewis. What bugged Lewis is when he watched people quarrel, they were both appealing to the same standard outside of them that neither one of them created. Isn't that interesting? At the crux of the argument, Lewis observed that one person was arguing how they were keeping their standard better than the other person. And what drove Lewis nuts before he became a Christian was this very thing. There's something in us that wants to be right, and the problem is we can't get rid of it. Why do we defend our behavior? Because we are appealing to the law of human nature, that law of right and wrong. And Lewis states this. We can predict the law of gravity. You drop a stone, and which way is it going to go? It's going to go down if you're here on earth. We know this will not change. That is why we can fly planes, because we can predict the laws of nature. What perplexed Lewis is the law of human nature of right and wrong. Lewis stated that the law of human nature tells us what we ought to do, but we don't. If you're a kind of people, it's obvious. It will go well for you. If you don't blow up, it will go well for you. If you're mean, it's not going to go so well. It's obvious. But when it comes to right and wrong, why don't? We do them when we know better. This is what drove Lewis nuts. No one says, I want to be addicted to something. We know what we ought to do, yet often we don't do it. Why do we have to defend or justify our wrong behavior? Why do we see the horrible things that have happened in our world, not only now, but in the past. Why do we see the horrible things that happened in Nazi Germany? Why do we see the horrible things happening when we watch things unfold before us in the Middle East? Why are these horrible things through Hamas? Why do we see these horrible, horrible things? 
Because people are appealing to their standard of right and wrong and will justify their wrong behavior based on their standard. Can I just be honest with you? That's a dangerous place to stand without God's perfect law. See, this is what James is saying to those who aren't loving correctly. He goes, you're appealing to your own standard, but guess what? Your standard is not your standard. Your standard comes under God's perfect law, and you've broken. Lewis says this, the truth is this. We believe in decency so much, we feel the rule of law pressing on us so that we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it. And consequently, we try to shift the responsibility. See, what's, what's James' point here? There's a higher perfect law and we can't keep it perfectly. And that should humble every single one of us. When we start appealing to our own standard, we can't even keep our own standard. That is why we need a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we consistently break his commands and his law all the time. That's why we need a perfect Savior. Here's the thing. Once we acknowledge that we are a mess and can't justify our wrong behavior, that's the first step in recognizing we need a perfect Savior who perfectly keeps the law for us. Thank God for Jesus Christ who receives us, that we can bring him our mess and say, Jesus, I'm a mess. I judge people at times. I do things that I know are wrong. And I need your help. Can I just say this? God can deal with a heart of humility that recognizes their mess. That's being vulnerable. That, that's where in your weakness, Christ becomes strong. But when I refuse to recognize my mess or my weaknesses, and I hide behind them and I justify them and I just justify them by how I live my life better than everyone else, that's a dangerous place to be because now you're judging yourself based on your standards. And James condemned that. James condemned that. So what's the point? The point is there is a higher perfect law that we can't keep. So what do we all have in common? Here's what we all have in common. We all have fallen short of God's standards. But here's the thing. Not only that, we've fallen short of our standards, and ultimately we've fallen short of God's standards. And so remind yourself of this. Just remind yourself of this. Remember, the reason... You can see other people's mess is because of your mess. Just remind yourself of that. And remind yourself that you need a perfect Savior in your life. That when we come to him and we're vulnerable before before him, he strengthens us, he forgives us, he gives us his grace and his mercy. So in 
So the way you deal, and that doesn't mean you don't deal with difficult things. That, do, that doesn't mean you have to deal with difficult situations in your life. That doesn't mean you whitewash everything, you overlook atrocities or bad things that have happened in your life or to you. Or, but what you do is when you're walking in humility and you're not walking in the seat of judgment over people, and you're walking in the humility of God's grace, you're going to deal with that situation completely different. Yes, you're going to deal with it in truth, but you're also going to deal with people in love. You're going to have the heart of Christ. You're going to want to understand people's stories. You're going to want to understand looking behind the curtain a little bit to see what's going on in people's lives. And it's going to humble you. And it's going to keep you at the feet of Jesus Christ and allowing his strength to continue to work in your life. So let's pray that God continues to show us our mess as we pray for others and show them God's grace. Let's be careful. The moment you feel yourself judging somebody because they don't feel like they're controlling their kids the correct way or whatever. Remind yourself of the devotional you just had with your kids and it didn't go so well, right? Remind yourself of that. I think the problem that we've had in the church for many years is I think we felt like we had to put this pretense or this thing out to people that my life is good, my kids are good, and we were so afraid to be vulnerable and to share our shortcomings or our mess because we're afraid of being judged that we don't have it all together. Guess what? None of us have it all together. None of us do. And we're all trying to run this race together. So why don't we help each other run the race together? And pray for each other. And when someone shares something when someone comes to me, especially the pastor, because they're like, oh my, I don't want to share this with the pastor. You know the first thing I say? Thank you for the courage to tell me that and we love you. And we want to help you. We want God to do restoration in your heart. If someone shares something very deep with you, a close friend, the first thing you say is, I'm honored that you shared this with me. And I want to pray for you and work with you through this. That's the type of people that we need to be. Approachable. Approachable. Knowing that we're not going to find condemnation, but we're going to find love to help with the restoration. So, Pastor, I'm struggling right now. I got stuff. I got mess. I got family stuff. I got personal stuff. Can I just say this? God wants to show you his goodness. That he still loves you in the midst of your stuff. Somebody um, shared, with, shared something with me that I don't even remember, but it really encouraged me. He said, Pastor, I, when I first started coming to the church, I was really struggling with pornography. Because I just started coming back to church. Because I felt so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that when I would stand in the church service, it was very difficult for me to raise my hands because I didn't feel I was worthy. Well, guess what? None of us are worthy. 
And he goes, you said something at the beginning of the worship service that I never forgot. I don't remember, but, you know, this is what he recalls. And he says, I remember that you said the reason you lift your hands or the reason you worship Jesus is because he's worthy. So in the midst of your mess, whatever you're going through today, you realize that Jesus is worthy and he will receive you because of his worth and because of his goodness, that he will not stiff arm you or cast you aside, but he will receive you like the father received the prodigal son. When he took all the father's inheritance and basically said, I wish you were dead. And when he came back from all his wanton living and loose living, guess who saw the son first? It was the father. And guess who restored the son? The father. The father didn't sit down and say, oh, wait a minute, we got to first down and have a meeting. Here's all the things you did wrong. And here's how you wronged me. Okay, number one. Number two, can you sign this, a contract, saying all the things you heard? What does he do? Hugs him, restores him, kills the fattened calf, puts a ring on his finger, has a party. Because his lost son came home. Listen, let's remember that we're all prodigals and God's just waiting for us to come home. Let's be the people that help people come home. Let's be those people. And I know it's frustrating. Maybe you're a parent, you've been praying for your child, you've been praying for your child, you've been praying for your child. Don't give up. What we're going to sing right now, I'm going to shut up, but what we're going to sing is there's a beautiful, beautiful verse in the Word of God that says, I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. And when you sing that today, I want you to realize, God, that's a promise that I will see your goodness. Even in the midst of my mess, I will see your goodness. So I'm going to stand on that promise that I will see your goodness. So if that's you today, make that your prayer. Let that be what you stand on today. Let that promise be for your children, whoever it might be. Even if it's in your struggle that you're having right now, that you will see God's goodness if you trust him and he's not going to leave you. Amen? I think I had 15 sermons within a sermon today, so thank you guys for being patient with me today. God is good. God is good. So Father God, we bow before you. God, we are so unworthy of your mercy and your grace. We are broken vessels that need the restoration of Jesus to restore us. God, help us to just remind us of our mess. Never to take our mind off our mess and realize you can deal with our mess and you receive us in the midst of our mess. Help us to be those people to a world that has just so fallen and have made bad choices and need restoration. Help us to be those ministers of reconciliation through Christ Jesus to this lost and broken world. Bring your healing today, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. So let, let this is a beautiful, beautiful song.